Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, self-lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. With me today, I have a special guest who is a friend of a friend. Her name is Chelsea Glass, and she was born and raised in California, and she began studying Spanish at the age of 19. After more than a decade immersed in the language, along with her postgraduate studies in Spanish at CSU Sacramento, Chelsea is a fluent Spanish speaker and experienced language instructor. From 2012 to 2016, Chelsea worked in both tourism and language education, teaching both Spanish and ESL, which is English second language. I know that because I'm ESL. (laughs) And while pursuing her MA in Spanish before moving back full-time to Guatemala in 2017 to start her business, Heart of Travel. Chelsea has a deep passion for authentic travel and aims to dispel preconceived ideas and notions about Latin American cultures through small group trips. She now currently resides in Antigua, Guatemala, which is arguably the most beautiful town in the world, with her partner, Luis Miguel, and two baby girls named Maddie and Nati. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Likewise, I've heard so much about you through Allie. And when we think about like what it means to be a female entrepreneur and who is one person that does it all and does it all so beautifully, you always come up in that conversation repeatedly. That is so sweet. Well, I am always singing Allie's praises because she is just one of the most like high energy, such a woman supporting woman. She's so talented. She's so efficient. And I have so much admiration for her. And obviously through her, I've been hearing so many wonderful things about you for years. And I really enjoy following you on social. And so I thank you again for the opportunity. And I I can't wait. I think we're going to dive into some really fun topics today. Yeah, same. By any chance, like personal note, was your baby shower in November? I did have a baby shower in November. Yeah. Were you here during that? I was here, but I left the day before and Allie and I were supposed to, well, Allie went to your baby shower, obviously, but I was supposed to just tag along. You know, Allie always comes with a gringa by her side <laughs> and I was supposed to be the gringa, but I left literally hours before your baby shower at, um, Oh gosh, what's that beautiful place called? It's called Via Bouquet. I actually have some clients there right now. And so I was there yesterday and the place is just so beautiful. So yeah, Allie and then our coworker, Pam, they were so sweet. They put that together for me in November. So I wish you would have been able to make it. That would have been so fun. Next time. I know. (laughs) How funny that we just missed each other by seconds. But I really am excited to talk about ethical travel today because I host retreats around the world and more recently in Latin American countries. I love Spanish-speaking countries from Spain to Costa Rica, which I know are very different places, and we will talk more about the importance of just knowing that history. But I want to backtrack to the first time you traveled, like really, really traveled, not like a vacation, but like extended travel or you felt really immersed. And what was that experience like for you? Yeah, definitely. So the first time I ever really traveled was I actually came here. I was 19 and I got on a plane and I came to Guatemala for 10 days in March of 2010. It was like spring break. 
I was going to school in Chico, California at the time, which for me was not super fulfilling. I definitely was ready to do something new. And I took the opportunity over spring break while a lot of my peers were like partying, having fun, which was awesome. But I just wanted to do something different. And so I found a program online to study Spanish and also to volunteer abroad. And my feelings towards volunteering abroad have changed drastically since that moment almost 13 years ago. But it was an opportunity for me to come to Guatemala. I remember I got off the plane and I got picked up by a driver and I didn't speak any Spanish and he didn't speak any English. And I was staying with a family in their home and I felt really excited, but I felt really overwhelmed. I felt so outside of my comfort zone. I think I cried a little bit that first week because I just felt so, yeah, uncomfortable because I just... I was young. I didn't speak the language. It was exciting, but it was overwhelming. But after those 10 days, I decided that I really needed more time. So I came back a few months later and I spent the whole summer in Guatemala. And that's when things really clicked and when things really changed for me. Wow. When you went to Guatemala the first time, were you looking to go to Guatemala in particular or was that just where the volunteer trip was? I just Googled. I was looking for somewhere to go that wasn't too far away and that wasn't too expensive. I had initially thought I wanted to go maybe somewhere even in Southeast Asia, but for the amount of time that I had and budget when I was doing a search, like Mexico and Guatemala came up a lot, but Mexico I felt like would be a place that would maybe be more accessible for me at another moment in time. I had some family there and Guatemala sounded interesting and I remembered that I had done a report on Guatemala in maybe fifth grade. So I had the most basic general understanding of the country and I said, let's just go to Guatemala. But I had no idea. Like, I thought I was going to be actually living in an even more remote area. So when I ended up in a little house on the outskirts of Antigua, I was shocked. Like, I honestly, I was ignorant. I had no idea what I was going to go into. And Antigua completely blew me away and was not at all what I was expecting. And Antigua is like a trek from the city. I can't imagine that <laughs> car ride. <laughs> The car ride was interesting for sure. But yeah, it was great. And even just in those 10 days, as hard as they were, I felt like I learned so much. And so when I came back just two months later, I came back with a completely different attitude and a different level of confidence. That's when I felt like I was really able to like immerse myself more, make friends, and enjoy the experience for all that it was. Whereas the first time I definitely was being held back a little bit by just like not fear, but just more feeling, you know, awkward because <laughs> I couldn't talk mm -hmm. to anybody. Allie will tell you that she's so sick of me asking this question and pressing so hard, but why did you come back? Because for me, that thought process is, I don't know, different compared to how most people travel. Like most people are trying to check as many countries off their bucket list as possible so they can tell their friends that they've traveled to 25 countries before they turn 25, right? Or maybe that's just me, but like what called you to come back and to come back to Guatemala in particular? I know you mentioned like feeling connected to it in some way, but there had to have been something just really pulling you, maybe. I think the reason I came back that very first time is probably a different reason than why I've continued to stay. The first time, quite frankly, I was somewhat frustrated with myself that I didn't have an even better experience the first time. And so it almost felt like I wanted to challenge myself because I looked around and I saw other people who weren't from Guatemala. I saw other people who were, I assumed, potentially from the United States or from Canada who seemed to be much more natural and at ease in their space there. And I didn't feel that way. And so I knew that there was something that I was missing and I felt like it was my personal responsibility to go back and like 
make it work for me, if that makes sense. And also in the short time I was there, as much as there were moments when I felt uncomfortable or outside of my outside of my comfort zone or felt lonely, the town itself, as you said, is beautiful. People are very friendly. I took just 10 hours of Spanish immersion that first week and a half I was there and really enjoyed it. And it was clear that I had a little bit of an affinity for the language. So there were definitely little signs, but it wasn't like I left Guatemala completely in love. I left Guatemala feeling like I had only scratched the surface and that I would be doing a disservice to myself and any future travels if I didn't come back and finish the experience. So when I came back for the summer, then I thought it was just going to be a couple months and then I would move on and continue traveling to other parts of the world. The things that happened though that summer change things. And so, yeah, my reason for staying later is a little bit different than my reason for going back the first time, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah. And thank you for diving into that, like the intimacy of that. I can relate to that, like just feeling like you have unfinished business or feeling like there's something more and you didn't fully experience it. So you like have to come back. I think everybody has a place like that, whether it's like close by or abroad, we all just feel like there has to be more. Yeah, I definitely felt that way. I mean, I'm so glad that I came back because even from day one of my second trip, things were completely different. And that is when the foundation for the life I live now was really laid when I came back that second time just a few months later. So now I would say I stay or I go back to a lot of the same places in Latin America. Like I spent a lot of time in Ecuador. I spent a lot of time in Oaxaca. I spent a lot of time in Cuba. And that's because I'm more interested in the relationships that I'm building than necessarily how many countries I make it to in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to get to go everywhere in the world. And I've made peace with that. My 20-year-old self was frustrated with that. And my 31-year-old self is totally at peace that I might not go everywhere in the world. but I know that the day that I die, I will remember all of the friendships and the relationships that I've built and that those will be even more meaningful to me. So that's why I stay here. And that's why I keep going back to the same destinations in Latin America over and over again. And so my exploration of the rest of the region has been really slow, but it's been very intentional. Mm, Wow. I really just want to give that a moment to sink in. I guess that's the difference between traveling deep versus traveling wide. And it's funny you bring that up now because just last week I recorded a podcast episode about, I learned this new idea how we are essentially finite creatures with infinite possibilities. Like our lifespan is finite, our capacity is finite, our emotional energy has a limit, but our possibilities are truly infinite. Even if you feel so completely stuck in your life. We're always like making so many different choices that can change the entire trajectories of our lives. And it sounds like so big and scary and existential, but really once we like make peace with that, then we can step into like what truly matters, which it seems like for you is the depth of your relationships and really getting to know a place and its people and really going for the depth instead of spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's so many different ways to travel. And I I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. I definitely have some thoughts on ways to travel that are more sustainable and ethical. But I'm going to Japan next year, and I'm really looking forward to it. And it may or may not be the only time that I go to Japan in my life. And I know it's going to be an incredible memory and great experience. But I also know that I'm never going to have the tie or I most likely won't have the ties that I have 
to Guatemala with Japan. And that's okay, right? Because they're different experiences. So going to Japan is going to be a trip for myself to just have a great time and learn new things and hopefully make some form of connection. But it's totally different versus what I'm trying to do here in Latin America is really more about creating a life here versus having a great travel experience. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Japan sounds amazing too. Okay. (laughs) So many things I want to know about creating a life here. But first, I want to backtrack to at the beginning, you mentioned that your thoughts about volunteering abroad have changed and then you brought up ethical travel. So I want to talk a little bit more about that and then we'll circle back to what kept you in Guatemala all these years and the life and family and business that you've built there. How have your thoughts on volunteering abroad changed and how does that tie into ethical travel? So there are a lot of nonprofits or organizations here in Guatemala where you can come and you can volunteer. And I definitely think that there are some that are handling that in a way that is positive. But for example, when I came to volunteer here, I was paying an organization to set up like my housing, to set up my Spanish classes, and to set up my volunteer placement. And so there was a business that was making money off of me as a volunteer. Now, I definitely see value in what they were able to give to me in terms of setting up logistics and creating kind of a community for me. Like I had an instant in-country support. So I definitely think that they deserve compensation for that. But when it comes to the volunteering, I was placed in the infant malnutrition ward in a public hospital when I spoke no Spanish, had very little cultural understanding or background information, and I had no medical experience. And quite frankly, I had a little bit of a fear of hospitals, which I've since gotten over. So luckily, you know, nothing happened in the sense that nothing went wrong. But now that I'm older, I look and realize that that could have potentially really been actually hazardous. Or I wonder, was I just making the nurse on staff's job harder by them having to try and figure out what to do with this gringa who they couldn't communicate with efficiently? Or was the attention that I was giving to these children in the unit, was it helpful to them? Or were they creating an attachment that then they were going to have to go through detachment when I left 10 days later? So a lot of these things I wasn't necessarily thinking about with that level of analysis at the time. Like, I didn't feel comfortable in my volunteer placement, but I did enjoy it because I got to spend time with these beautiful, sweet children. But the volunteering experience isn't supposed to be for me. It's supposed to be for the community that I'm there to serve. And I don't really know how well they were served by my existence there. And I almost wonder if I at times perhaps made things harder for them. Meanwhile, there was a business that was profiting off of selling me that experience. So I now feel like if you're going to do some type of outreach abroad or if you're going to do some type of volunteering abroad, it's really important that you actually have a specialized skill and that you can offer a quantifiable experience where you can say, okay, I'm a doctor and I'm going to go in and I'm going to perform X amount of this type of surgery in this community that has consented to this, that has expressed that they need this and I'm qualified to do it and that there's really no like for-profit like action happening there. If that can be done, then I think that's great because the reality is that there are people in the world who have more opportunities and privilege and who have skills and resources that they want to share. And there are communities that could potentially benefit from that. But for me, it was feeling like there wasn't enough thought into just placing young, mostly recently graduated high school students or university students in these different placements where we really were not properly trained. And I don't know how much the people who in theory were getting served actually had 
authority in deciding how they wanted things to be done. So that's where my reservation towards volunteering abroad has come. I also feel that it can sometimes extend this concept of charity. And I, I personally believe that opportunities for employment, entrepreneurship opportunities, providing the tools and resources for communities to be self-sufficient is much more beneficial to them in the long run than this kind of weird economy where we have of them relying on this foreign aid, but it's really just putting a Band-Aid instead of actually addressing the issue. So those are my feelings (laughs) in a nutshell on that one. I could probably go in for a long time on it. Chelsea, that is so eye-opening, and I shit you not, if you ran for president, you have all our votes. (laughs) No, I mean, seriously, it reminds me of a few years back, I was hanging out with this like very cultured group. I'll tell you more about that later, because it was the first time that my eyes opened to travel and learning new languages and that kind of stuff. But they were talking about their experience of building a school in Vietnam and how humbled they were by eventually the truth coming out, which is that... Building a school does jack shit because these places don't need schools. They need teachers that get paid. And I remember this story. There was definitely more details to it. But my biggest takeaway, I mean, I was like 12, 13 years old, so I apologize for perhaps butchering that message. But what I remember is that just thinking about how from a Western perspective, or I'll speak for myself from like an American mindset, we glamorize this kind of white saviorism where, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to build a school and do good and get praised for it. And that I'm sure is often well-intentioned, but the reality is that it does more harm than good because it sucks resources that could have otherwise been put where they're actually needed, which is that humbled fact that they don't need a brick wall and desks, they need teachers or whatever else that that community needs. It's up to them to decide, not organizations outside in a place like the United States. Yeah, totally. And I do think that so many of the people that come down here truly come down with the best of intentions. And so that's why I feel like it's really these organizations or these companies or these sometimes it can be schools, sometimes it can be whatever kind of community group that I think oftentimes have the correct intentions. But the people who are at the leadership levels and those types of organizations, a lot of times I feel like there's a lack of a deep relationship and a deep cultural understanding and that things are a bit surface level. And that is what results in these types of experiences where, like I've seen it myself, I've watched people set up clinics or like pop-up community service outreach projects in small towns here. And I've watched them inadvertently not listen (laughs) to what's being asked of them. And I've actually found myself in positions where I've had to tell people who I think are at their heart really well-intentioned people, but I've had to say, look, I can't work with you because I don't necessarily disagree with your intention, but the execution I don't feel comfortable with. And that's been uncomfortable sometimes too. A lot of people have been really receptive to then listening more and learning more. And I'm also not an expert by any means. And then I've had other people who are just like, okay, well, we don't agree with you. And I'm like, that's fine. But like for me, I feel like at this point, I do have a really strong grasp on nuance in the language and culture down here. And sometimes you just get a look across the room from somebody that they're like, this isn't cool. Can you help sell these other gringos? And I'm like, oof, it's a it's a tough position to be in. But it's one that I feel 
grateful that I have the opportunity to be in and hopefully in some way be a bridge to help improve some of these types of cross-cultural interactions so that they are truly positive and more mutually beneficial. Because I think a lot of times, like you said, with these white savers, I think their intentions are really right. But at the end of the day, they're still very much centering themselves. And the community or the people who are supposed to be getting help, they need to be the central focus if you're doing that type of work. Yeah. I want to highlight that like when we know better, we do better. Totally. The hardest thing is giving ourselves space to maybe be not right or maybe outright wrong. And that's the part that's really uncomfortable. So just to like normalize and humanize that experience, how did you come to learn all of this? I'm assuming there was a little bit of trial and error or uncomfortable moments. And I'm pretty sure that knowing the language was something that really allowed you to pick up on like you mentioned, cultural nuances, really listening to people and what they're saying in that particular community. How did that journey unfold? So you came back to Guatemala, you spent the whole summer there, and what happened next? Yeah, so I came back to Guatemala, I spent the summer here, and I was given the opportunity to work for a travel company. So there was this gentleman who, he was in his late 20s, he was Guatemalan, and he had just opened up a little travel company, and his his office was actually inside the school that I was studying Spanish at. And we became friends, and he saw that I was able to round up other students to kind of sign up for his weekend excursions. So eventually he offered me a job, and my summer actually turned into an additional two and a half years. So working for him in the travel industry was really eye-opening because I got to work alongside Guatemalans instead of being in this kind of dynamic where we were different. All of a sudden, I was on a team and everybody else on the team was Guatemalan, Guatemalan men, actually. So that had some interesting elements too. So I was thrown into a world that wasn't designed for foreigners. I was thrown into a Guatemalan world and sold to figure out how to exist in it. And so that allowed me to learn a lot and to actually become friends with people from Guatemala, from a lot of different walks of life, lots of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different languages, because not everybody in Guatemala speaks Spanish even as their first language. I was just exposed to so much more of the country than I would have seen if I hadn't been actually working there. And then I became friends with a girl from Guatemala named Ana. We all refer to her as Chiva. And we met in a course to become ESL teachers. And at that point, my Spanish was pretty good. So we would speak in Spanish a lot, but we would also speak in English. Her English was absolutely it's phenomenal. It's flawless. And we became really good friends and we just clicked. And we had a lot of these conversations. And honestly, she was really instrumental in helping me to better understand the Guatemalan experience and to explain nuances of culture to me and to kindly let me know when maybe I was doing, when I was having a gringo moment and when maybe something that I, like I was well-intentioned in my actions, but I wasn't understanding how it might translate. She was somebody who was really good about providing correction, but I know there was just so much trust and friendship there that I never felt like too defensive or closed off to it. I was really genuinely interested in learning from her. That was definitely really, really important. Just for people who might be unfamiliar, a gringa moment is like a white girl moment. And it is said <laughs> it is said with the utmost of love. You know, people gently poke fun at the gringa. At least that was my experience when I was in Guatemala or when I'm in Costa Rica. And it's nothing meant to hurt or harm anybody. So okay, continue. You met Anna. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I met Anna and we would travel together because later we worked together. So we would spend a lot of time together and we'd be spending all day with foreigners, having a great time. And then we'd get to the, our hotel room at night and we'd stay up and we'd be talking and we'd be analyzing things and we'd be having these really cool open conversations. And I think that I demonstrated a really genuine interest in learning about history and culture and current events. And I think I showed an openness for her to correct me or talk about like things that might not be that comfortable, but that's because we had developed the foundation of friendship. So this is why I think it's important to invest in relationships because when you're trying to relate with somebody across cultural and potentially linguistic barriers without trust or what we call like la confianza, without esta confianza, you're not going to necessarily have a fully authentic and transparent conversation where you're actually going to, like things are going to stay surface level. And a lot of times when we're having surface level conversations, we're polite, which is good. But sometimes when we want to have more honest conversations, that's hard to do if there isn't already trust. And how do you develop that trust if you're not able to effectively communicate, right? And spend time with those people. So I spend a lot of time around people like Anna, around people like my boss at the time, Carlos, and be through those friendships and relationships. Then I got to a point where people were comfortable having harder conversations with me. And that allowed me to grow and to then become kind of a bridge and have other people from my culture who want to come and travel to these places who maybe don't have a year to develop those types of relationships. But through me, they can have more of those moments because I've already created that kind of safe environment alongside these different people. So trust and time. I think putting in time showed that I had respect. I showed people that my desire to really understand them was real. And that felt, I think, was really appreciated. And so then people were really open with me. So I'm just really lucky that I had people who were willing to to get to know me and to share and open up with me as well. I'm getting chills thinking about Anna and the ripple effect that she's created because now you are Anna for a bunch of other gringas and lots of different people, but that she was that friend for you that turned into a confidant of some sort and you were lucky with her and I can totally see just what a beautiful friendship you had and you also like paid your dues by spending so much time and by really caring and really listening and taking action on what you were learning like very intentionally and directly and without making it about you. Yeah. And it can be hard. Like I've cried alone a lot <laughs> in my in my bed in Guatemala over the last 13 years trying to figure out exactly how I feel about certain things including how I feel about myself and where I come from. But it's been really good. Guatemala is the longest relationship of my life and it has forced me to grow in a lot of ways. So I'm really, really grateful. So there's definitely been challenges for sure, but I think that's, that's what we're here to do, right? We're here to, we're here to grow. (laughs) Yeah. You just shared the juiciest thing and I'm sorry, I'm going to double click on that. The longest relationship of your life has been Guatemala. And you said you were questioning like who you are and where you're from. What do you mean by that? At this point, is there a part of you that feels Guatemalan or is there a part of you that feels like you don't fully belong? Or like, what do you cry about when you do cry? Yeah, I feel like it's hard to say because in so many ways, I completely feel that I belong here and I feel like I have been embraced and that I have a wonderful community and that I have so many people here that I can count on. 
both Guatemalans, people from other parts of the world, like, because we have such a diverse community here, at least in Antigua. So in many ways, I definitely feel like I do belong here. But at the same time, it would be ridiculous to say that I could identify 100% with the Guatemalan experience because that's just simply not true. I didn't grow up here. I wasn't raised here. I have not lived the same experiences that a lot of my friends have. And it's not like there's one homogenous Guatemalan experience anyways. I mean, everybody has their own individual experience. And within Guatemala, there are so many different ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses. You can live in an urban area. You can live in a rural area. I mean, there's just, there's no such thing as the Guatemalan experience, right? So that in and of itself is really complex. So I definitely feel like I fit in. I definitely think that when it comes to other foreigners in town, the fact that I have really fluent Spanish and a really Guatemalan circle, definitely I have immersed myself a lot, but that doesn't take away who I am and where I came from. But on the flip side, I do not feel at all at home in the U.S. I feel very disconnected from where I came from and the people I grew up with. And that at times has been painful for sure to try and reckon with that, to just, it's hard. It's something that I'm still quite frankly kind of trying to work on. And now that I have children, figuring out how I want them to interact with all these different cultures in their life and how that's going to shape them. That's something that I talk about a lot with my partner and we don't know what is necessarily the right answer. Hey, myself lovers, before we go on with today's podcast episode, I want to make sure that you are giving yourself the gift of self-love. The Gift of Self-Love is a book I wrote to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. And it's available in stores and online worldwide. So go pick it up if you don't have it already. And if you do have it, little reminder to make sure that you are reading it and doing that work in the workbook. I poured my heart and soul into this book, compiling everything I teach at my retreats and everything we talk about on the podcast and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is this book is a combination of me sharing everything that's helped me on my self-love journey, and it's also a workbook, so you can actually write in it and put the tools into practice right away. So it's a very integrative experience, similar to what it would be like if you came to a retreat and we were doing a workshop in person. These exercises are all in one place for you. There are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body acceptance, mindset and self-talk, confidence and self-worth. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it today by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. You can also search for it on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. And please take a second to check out all the amazing reviews. At this point, the book has reached thousands of people all around the world. And these reviews are so, so special to me. They literally make me cry when I read them. And I hope that this book has the same profound impact on you. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash book and give yourself the gift of self-love. I think even people who live in their home country or don't live too far from where they were born, everybody can relate to that universal human experience of not belonging. And for some people in particular, again, I'll speak for myself, but my parents are from Russia, but my mom's side of the family were Jewish refugees. And then I grew up in the Bay Area 
and my grandparents currently live in Sacramento. Oh, Sacramento! <laughs> Yay! They just moved there five years ago, so I can't say I relate to the inland experience. I'm a Bay Area gal all the way, but being in Northern California is a culture of its own. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking about like what is home for you, I mean, there are so many different definitions. There's not not just your family and where you were born. There's also your friends. There's also maybe the college you went to, maybe the other people you hung around with, everybody who's had an influence on your life. There's these little sub cultural communities like the Bay Area is definitely a little bit <laughs> culty. And if you live in a city, that's the whole experience. If you live in the country, like as much as it's all so different, there's also a lot of similarities when we boil it down to that human experience. And what we're really talking about is the idea of belonging. Yeah. And you said something interesting about like, where is home for you? And I spent so much time in 2017 and 2018 traveling and like working on building up my business. And one of my best friends, he passed away very suddenly in 2017 when I was living at his house. And I spent about two years where I had this kind of chip on my shoulder about like, I'm alone in this world and I have to be strong because I'm alone in this world. And now I've softened that a lot. But there was a time where I came to the realization that because I was moving around so often and I felt like I had a million homes, but I also had no homes, I decided that I am my home. And if I'm good with myself, then I can sleep pretty much anywhere for a night and that I can be comfortable pretty much anywhere if I'm comfortable with myself. And so I definitely had that type of mentality for a long time of, I don't necessarily have a physical home or one particular community because I felt spread out through so many different ones. And that was so enriching, but also left a void at times. And I decided that the only way to fill that void was to fill it with myself and to become comfortable being alone in any type of situation and knowing that if I'm in a good relationship with myself, I'm okay wherever I'm at. And that's what 2017 and 2018 really taught me. Mm, thank you for sharing that. It's so powerful. I'm really sorry to hear about your friend. And I can't imagine how that impacted your view of travel, especially because you said you were like at his house staying there. Yeah. He was the same gentleman who gave me my job when <gasps> Carlos? I was 19. Yeah. No, Chelsea. Oh my God. I was already yeah. like so invested in your relationship with Carlos. I didn't realize that we're speaking of the same person. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, um, until the arrival of my partner and my children, I would say that he and Anna had been the two most probably influential people in my life. And he was really a mentor. Anna was a peer and incredible. And Carlos was more of a mentor. And he really opened up so many doors for me in Guatemala. And he really pushed me to come back to Guatemala and to start my business. And so I had just moved back in January of 2017, after going through a divorce and leaving a job behind that I had been at for four years to start my company. And and I moved back and I was living in the same room that I had slept in for many, many years, a long time prior. And we left on his motorcycle in the morning. We had breakfast. I met up with a group of 14 tourists, headed to the eastern side of Guatemala with them. He was the one putting together like the transportation. It was a project we were working on together. 
And I remember that that night he called me around six o'clock and was said, Hey, where are you guys? Have you gotten to your hotel yet? And I was like, Carlos, yeah, you know, get off my back. I'm going to be there soon. I'll call you when we're here. You know, love you. Bye. And when I got to the hotel, I called him and he never replied. And I thought, hmm, maybe he's just gone to bed early. He would get up and go to CrossFit at like 3.30 in the morning. This guy was a beast. He had so much discipline. So I went to sleep and I woke up at around maybe 11 p.m. in kind of like a weird fog. And I looked at my phone and I just had all of these missed calls. And I opened up this message on Facebook Messenger from this girl that she had actually dated him at one point. And she knew I was in town. I read her message was the first message. And she told me that there had been an accident and he had gotten hit on his motorcycle that night around 8.30 and passed. That was just, even right now, I'm a little hard to talk about. It was just a really, um, it was just so shattering and so many different, like so many crazy lessons and like definitely a pivotal point in my life, losing him for sure. Yeah. That is incredibly tragic. And he was young too. And he had so much life to live. And he's somebody who had a lot of his own demons and he had really worked in the few years leading up to his death and, and working through a lot of those. And I just felt like he was at like, he was at like the prime of his life. He was in such a good place. Our friendship was in such a beautiful place. And I'm really glad that he was at least able to do that. Like, I feel like at least he died probably having made peace with a lot of things and a lot of aspects about himself. Mm-hmm. But it was just so unfortunate because I felt like he had like the best to come for himself. It was like right around the corner. That definitely helps for me to put in perspective that we just don't know. Our time on this world is so, um, it's so uncertain. It's so uncertain. Yeah. Do you think that that experience made Guatemala like a little bit more like, I guess, a personal, like a personal home for you? Or did it push you away? I know it's still pretty fresh. I mean, even four or five years ago, it's still really fresh. I was just reading a paper this morning that it takes 10 years minimum. Psychologists have estimated that it takes 10 years minimum for us to receive lessons after grief. And divorce was also included in the list of things we grieve very, very deeply. So all of those events in your life combined, how did that impact your experience living in Guatemala? 2017 was definitely, I kind of became a mess. (laughs) Like, because like you said, I was going through divorce. I had also walked away from a job that I had been really passionate about. And I had had really loved the people that I worked with for a long time. And then Carlos passed away. So there was just a lot of loss in my life. And we lose sight maybe of our priorities when we're in that much pain and grief and we're kind of just trying to distract ourselves with other things. So there were probably a couple of months that I lost (laughs) where I was just kind of just dealing with the day to day. But I think if anything, it strengthened my relationships in Guatemala and it solidified that Guatemala is definitely more home than anywhere else. And even now, like I just a few days ago was on the other side of Guatemala and to call region and Whenever I go there, we work with a local guide and his name's Oliverio. And I've known him for 13 years. He's known me since I was 19 years old and running around with pigtail braids and speaking no Spanish and just being a very different version of myself. And I never would have met him if it weren't for Carlos. And every time we see each other, even if we see each other once every couple months, 
Every time we see each other at some point or another in the day, we have a moment where we talk about him and we remember him and we recognize that he is the thread that holds us together and that even though he's not here anymore, that we're still here and we're still working together and we're still able to keep a lot of what he wanted to do alive. And so I think that having shared trauma definitely has bonded me to some of the people that I work with in a way that is pretty unique for somebody like me to have that type of relationship with some of these people just because we come from such different worlds, but we have this very significant shared loss that we can be there for one another. And it definitely makes me feel more connected to a lot of these people. And I can't speak for them, but I think that it makes them feel more connected to me too. Mm. Carlos's legacy is so alive and a huge part of his legacy is connecting people. And again, that, that ripple effect is just so, so strong. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it wasn't easy. I want to circle back to your husband and your family, if you don't mind. I want to read aloud what you wrote to me because I find it absolutely fascinating. (laughs) Perfect. So your words will be read back to you here. But you said, my partner, Luis Miguel, is Cuban and had never left Cuba until he moved to Guatemala seven weeks before our first daughter was born. What? (laughs) Yeah. What? Okay, we need to know that story. But you wrote that his being Cuban adds so much richness to our life, but also presents challenges, particularly because of the visa situation. You used to travel all the time, and now you're pretty limited as a family. You told me that you like to talk about this so people understand that immigration isn't as easy or cut and dry of a topic as people think. And then this part, I really was curious about, you said, also being in a cross-cultural relationship and where one of us is from an upper middle class, mostly white world in the mega center of capitalism and consumerism versus him being from an ethically diverse yet economically strangled communist island makes for some very interesting conversations and at times some difficult dynamics. (laughs) Please tell us more about that because it's absolutely fascinating. And the reason why I'm highlighting this because you were so generous with me before we recorded and and sharing these parts of your life to dive into. But the reason why I'm particularly bringing this up is because I'm the type of basic bitch that fantasizes about meeting someone abroad and falling in love and building this life. Of course, this is pre my fiance. So everybody who's freaked out, please don't freak out. But I mean, we all have that you know, love story in our minds when we, especially when we travel and we just tend to romanticize these aspects without realizing everything comes with its own challenges, but especially something like romance abroad or cross-cultural, interracial love, all all of those different things. So I, I would love to hear more about this. Yeah, definitely. Happy to speak about this. And obviously, all the things that I'm saying today are my complete personal experiences, but particularly like talking about this topic because it is delicate and it's such a personal thing. And I know that different people have different stories. So, just definitely, I'm speaking from my experiences only. And I can only speak for my husband to a certain extent, right? So, if he hears this, Luis Miguel, I hope you. 
<laughs> so the good thing is that prior to meeting Luis Miguel and entering into a relationship with him, I had dated and even actually been married to somebody from another culture. I had a brief marriage to a gentleman from Guatemala. Long story, we actually met in the United States and most of our relationship took place there. And he was from more of an upper middle class Guatemalan family, which has a completely other, a whole bunch of other elements. But I at least was familiar with being in a relationship in a language that isn't my first language and being in a relationship with somebody from a different culture. And I had dated some other people here in Guatemala and other parts of Latin America. Nothing super serious, but I'd had a couple other relationships during my time in Latin America. So that definitely helps. I think that if I had met Luis Miguel early on in my travels, I don't think that we would have been able to enter into the relationship that we're in today. I think it would have required too much of a stretch on both ends. Whereas when we met, I already spoke fluent Spanish. I already had friends in Cuba. I already had a decent understanding of Cuban history and politics. So I had a little bit of a leg up on that. So if you're somebody who goes to Cuba and falls in love over the weekend, but you haven't necessarily had some of those prior experiences, more power to you if you want to pursue that relationship, but just definitely get ready because there's a lot to unpack. So the fact that I could already relate to his culture a little bit more definitely helps because my culture was extremely foreign to him and very much a complete world apart. When we first met, I didn't necessarily take things super seriously. And I knew the obstacles that would come with dating a Cuban because of how difficult it is for Cubans to leave. It's not so much that it's difficult for Cubans to leave Cuba. There was a time when the Cuban government made it challenging for its citizens to leave. Now a Cuban, if they're able to get a passport, which costs around $100, which in Cuba can be a lot of money, considering that that's about what a doctor makes monthly. So just for even that right there, just trying to sink that in, like what a, a medical professional in the country makes on a month is more or less the cost of a passport. So how do people save up in order to obtain these things is very challenging. They have to have an additional income stream, which usually is coming either from remittances or if they're one of the few people who own a private business in Cuba and are able to, to generate more income. So I already knew that if we were to be in any type of serious relationship, that it meant that I was going to have to be willing to travel to Cuba frequently in order to see him as much as I wanted to see the person I was in a relationship with at that point in my life. And that at some point, he would have to be open to relocating because as much as I love Cuba, it would be very hard to do my work there just because of the infrastructure of Wi-Fi and telecommunications. And that Cuba is incredible, but it's so limited. And if I'm really honest, I don't know if I would want to put myself in a position where I'd have to live with so many limitations and live such a harder life if I didn't need to. And that is like the most privileged thing to say. But you know what it is, is it's honest. And it's it's been so crazy to watch Luis Miguel's feelings towards his country change since he's left. And his narrative has changed a lot. In fact, we now get into not arguments, but these really interesting discussions where I sometimes find myself trying to be like, wait, don't forget about the positive things about your country. His perspective has taken almost a total 180 since we met. But yeah, I knew early on that if this relationship was going to go anywhere, that it was going to require a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifice. And it was also probably going to require a large economic investment on my end. And how do you decide 
when you're willing to go there, especially when I myself was the single recently divorced, trying to build a business, going through all this loss. Like there was so much going on in my life that I was like, do I do I do this or am I crazy? (laughs) And I went for it. So I started going to Cuba a lot, even more than I normally would for work. I started going to Cuba once a month. And then we got pregnant with Maddie. And at that point, we knew that we had wanted to be together and form a life together. But once I was pregnant, it was like, okay, this is real. This is happening. And you have to get to Guatemala because I don't want to raise a baby alone. Like, I don't want to be far away from the father of my child. That was like kind of the first big, like, okay, we have to figure out how to get you to Guatemala. And even just getting him to Guatemala was a challenge and was money and was time and was stress and was fear. And when he landed in Guatemala, he almost got turned back. He almost got sent back. And I luckily was on the same side of security. I'd flown in that night and I had to go to immigration and basically just kind of bullshit, not bullshit, but lay on the charm and answer the questions and just get this official in immigration to let him in. Because he had a visa that had been approved at the Guatemalan embassy in Havana. But the official at my in immigration here in Guatemala gets the last decision and they normally send Cubans back. And so that was a terrifying moment. So we've just had so many, so many situations. And even now he doesn't have a U.S. visa. We're waiting. It's been over a year. So if I want to go to Ecuador, if I have to go to Ecuador for work, he can't come because Cubans need to get a visa to go almost anywhere in the world. And a lot of that pressure comes from the United States. That puts pressure on their allies to keep Cuba on this short list of Category C countries where it's really difficult to get visas. And they're trying to punish the governments. They're trying to put pressure on governments to change their systems. And they're also trying to stop like huge influx of migration. And so it sucks because if I were to get seriously ill and need to go to the United States for medical treatment, he can't just get on a plane and accompany me, you know, or if one of our daughters were to need something or if something were to happen to my parents, he wouldn't be able to be by my side. And those are things that as a U.S. citizen who isn't in this type of relationship, we can really pass through life kind of ignorant to the real true complexities that the immigration topic presents and the way that affects everyday people's everyday lives. And so for me, it's even deep into my understanding because I was passionate about the topic and an advocate for finding easier ways for people to be able to have opportunities to migrate legally. I am pro-immigration. I also think that the current system is a disaster But even now that I'm living it myself, oof, I have way more understanding and feelings. And just to preface it, we're fortunate because I am a U.S. citizen who's lived there, who I speak the language fluently. We have access to be able to seek legal counsel. Like We're lucky and it still sucks. And so then I think, wow, if we didn't have some of the accesses and privileges that we have as a couple and as a family, and we were up against this challenge, it would be even harder and so that living it has really, really just deepened my my empathy and my compassion. And also it pisses me off, if I'm honest. It definitely makes you angry that things are so much harder for the person that you love for absolutely no fault of their own whatsoever. Mm, yeah, and this is so important for especially like 
U.S. and Canadian citizens, as well as other countries that have just more freedom and flexibility, like we really, 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 really take it for granted. And the whole immigration issue, how we just, you know, have the privilege to even ignore it or to not think about it. Like, it's just so, it's so heartbreaking. I'm really sorry you had to go through all that. And I'm really happy for you and the family that you've built in this country that you said was, you know, your first love or your longest relationship. And I I hope that it's worth it because you deserve the absolute world. But just thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably with us. Yeah, of course. And no, I mean, despite its challenges, it's definitely worth it. But I definitely think getting into a relationship with somebody from a different culture who's grown up in such a different way from you, it has a lot of these kind of hidden obstacles that you might not notice when you're in that first phase. Because think in the beginning where we'd walk around Havana listening to music and having ice cream and sitting on the malecon and all these really amazing movie like romance and it was so amazing and we still try to recreate moments of that here and there when we can it's tough with two kids and a bunch of stuff going on but you're usually not diving into the difficulties in that first year especially when we were only seeing each other for four or five days at a time once a month and then all of a sudden boom here he is in Guatemala I'm gonna have our baby in seven weeks that is just a lot to be thrown into And then we were thrown into a pandemic and it was just me, him and our baby and no certainty of what was going to happen with my business and the world feeling like it was ending. And that's an incredible way to build a bond. But a lot of stuff comes up, you know, and we all have our own childhood trauma and Cuban culture, like people aren't going to therapy there. People aren't going to therapy or like writing. I'm not saying never, but like in general, like the culture of like working on yourself and self-improvement and going to therapy and talking about your feelings and journaling, like all these things that I think are really healthy and great to do when you're waiting in line for seven hours to see if you're going to get a couple pounds of chicken to take home for dinner that night, you're not doing those things. Yeah. So, so much pain is really kind of shoved down, at least in my experience with my partner and what he's talked to me about some of his peers and what they've gone through. There's a lot of stuff that they don't work through and that comes up in a relationship. And I definitely have my own personal things in in my life that I think are partially products of culture. And so we'll be in these arguments and at one point, one of us will be like, wait, wait, let's make sure we actually understand what the other person is saying right now (laughs) before Mm. we react to it. Because you can't just assume that what you're saying is what's being transmitted when it's getting filtered through a completely different language and cultural context. And it's hard. And as much as I speak fluent Spanish and as much as I identify with Latino culture and I love Cuba and I have other Cuban friends, like I don't know what it's like to be Cuban and I never will. And I have to be okay with that. And Luis Miel has to be okay with that and vice versa. And I think that requires more stretching than people realize. And love is really powerful, but love doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like you you have to be able to do other things. And so for us, we made a choice to be in this relationship and to raise this family together and to try and go up against these obstacles that are in front of us. And I have to look at it that way, right? Because if 
if we think that we are just powerless to our destiny, then I think that our relationship would unravel because there's no way it's going to work unless we're both actively working to make it work. And that's true of any relationship. But when you add on all of these interesting elements of culture, of money, politics, the fact that I'm from a country that has participated actively in the economic strangling of his nation. I mean, that's a lot. That's heavy to think that there might not be any subconscious deep-seated resentment deep down. I don't know, but I think it would be fair if there was, you know, like I wouldn't hold him against him. But that's just so much to talk about (laughs) when you're, you know, young and falling in love and starting a family. So it's definitely been super rewarding, but not easy. You sharing the just harsh realities of your relationship is not only really eye-opening, but also inspiring. And I don't mean that in a way like, if they can do it, anybody can. I mean it in like a very practical way because I think the golden thread in this conversation has been like, we've gone so deep and it's so deep into a very specific situation or a very specific travel experience or a very specific intercultural, interracial relationship. And yet the common themes that we can all relate to, like, okay, wait, let's make sure we understand what one another is saying. And you have the power of language to really bring that wake-up call, like, hold on, there still might be some things lost in, not translation, but just some things lost. But I think a lot of people can relate to that in their own relationships. Like, 80% of the time, I just didn't listen well enough or I just couldn't understand because I only knew what I knew and didn't have a capacity beyond or I was so stuck in my own mindset that I didn't see this whole other world going on with so many other different realities. And as soon as we branch out a little bit, not only do we become a little bit better humans with a more cultured worldview, but we can also just experience the depths and complexities of life and all of their beauty and all of their glory. I just am so, so grateful for you sharing all of this. I appreciate having the the opportunity to, to speak about these types of things because they're not conversations that you just like have any old day, right? But I really love talking about this kind of stuff because I think that it is important for people to to hear other stories because maybe there's people who are in a similar situation and to know that they're not alone and to know that, yes, if you look at my Facebook, there's pictures of my family and I, and we are beautiful and we look happy and we are like, we are, do not by any ways get me wrong, but there's a lot of work behind that. We've both had to stretch really beyond what we're comfortable with and make sacrifices. And my sacrifices look very different than Luis Miguel's vice versa. And so that can sometimes create tension, but ultimately it also has made us feel really connected because now he doesn't, I fully identify with some people in his family. He doesn't fully identify with his country because he's not there anymore. So here we are both living in this country that neither one of us are from and piecing together this life and raising these two girls. And we can feel kind of lost and lonely, but if we can sit down at night and talk about how we're both feeling in a really honest and vulnerable way, then we could support each other in that and and accept that we won't ever fully understand the other one's experience. And one of the things I was thinking about the other day is like, what more do we really want? And I think particularly as women, but humans in general, we want to feel heard and we want to feel understood. At least I do. Like whenever we're in an argument, I find myself saying things like, 
I just solo quisiera que me entendieras. Like, I just wish you understood me. I just wish you would hear me. And then it's like, you have to come to the acceptance that nobody, even if they're from the same culture, even if it's your parents, nobody is going to understand you the way that you understand yourself. And everybody develops an image and a perception of who you are in their brain that's relevant to their world. And while they might get close to seeing you the way that you see yourself, like it's never going to be like, that's just never. And almost, it's almost freeing, like accepting that like Luis Miguel can know me to my core in so many ways, but he will absolutely never know what it's really like to be me and that that is okay. That's liberating. Chelsea, I don't know if I'm liberated <laughs> quite yet, but I do know that this is going to be the prime topic of my therapy session tomorrow. So thank you very much for okay. that. <laughs> well, You're welcome. I think I'm having a therapy session right now on your podcast. Thank you. Girl, I freaking love this because no, truly my biggest fear, like biggest, biggest fear is being misunderstood. And no matter how much I've spent years in therapy and like working on this, I can't seem to let go of that. And it is one of those, again, like hard universal truths that once accepted can be liberating because you're no longer trying so hard to make people understand you to your own demise and you're just in fully in acceptance and at peace with yourself and that is just so so beautiful i personally don't know if i'm there yet and i'm afraid that i'm, I'm not there yet either yeah. though like i have days just so you know like i don't think that i'm there yet but i am conscious that that's where i should be mm. going and I think that that's a good step. Yeah, I suppose your life, I guess, is an example of a concept I really revel in, which is how a lot of our disadvantages and our challenges ultimately become our peace and advantage and even purpose and lifeline. And that's what I really love about you is that beautiful arc of your life, how things things find their place and not only find their place, but you thrive or you are able to have the resilience and strength and everything that you are like to grow the hardest parts of your life, you know, and to find something from them and pass it on to others. So on that note, thank you so much. And I want to know about your business, Heart of Travel. Well, I know your business. I'm obsessed yeah. with your business. I want everybody to know about it because I'm personally taking a class with you and I'm signed up August 15th. Can't come fast enough for when you announce the new dates because you're doing a trip the exact same dates that Ali and I will be in Costa Rica hosting a self-love retreat. And I really wanted to go. I think it was the Cuba one in December, right? Yeah. I really wanted to go, but I'm there next year. So please tell us about upcoming trips, your language courses, and all things Heart of Travel. Yeah, definitely. So Heart of Travel basically is kind of like putting all of my lessons and life experiences and all of the incredible people that I've met along the way and so many of their experiences, putting us like all coming together and saying, well, how can we turn this into something to offer up to other people? And I really believe that travel can be very transformative and it can help us grow as individuals. It can push us. It can help us discover sides of ourselves. It can help us work through things about ourselves that we might not love. It pushes you outside of your comfort zone and that's where you can grow. So I think that travel can be really transformational on the individual level. I also think that it can be really transformational at the more community and social level in terms of, like there's that Mark Twain quote about, if you vegetate in your one little corner of life forever, that you're going to be remain ignorant and you're most likely going to 
participate perhaps unknowingly or make decisions unknowingly that aren't with humanity's best interests at heart. Whereas travel, I think, allows you to develop empathy and compassion and understand things better. And by understanding the history and the lived experiences in a place like Mexico or in like Cuba or Guatemala, that might change the way that you vote when you go home. It might change the way that you decide to spend your consumer dollars. It might change the way that you decide to treat a person. All of those things could impact your behaviors and your decisions once you've been opened up and exposed to new information. Because we are all hopefully doing the best that we can with the information we have available to us most days, but we don't have all the information available to us. And we won't. But if we can try to broaden our scope and be willing to listen and to accept and believe people's stories at face value, I think that it can influence the decisions that we make and some of our behaviors. And so that's the goal. Through these incredible, fun, educational, and memorable travel experiences, we want to shift people's perspectives. We want to foster opportunities where you can get to know people on a deeper level, even if you're just in Guatemala for 10 days. And we want to make sure that your tourist dollars are going as much as possible into the hands of small businesses, family-owned businesses, freelance guides, artists, artisans, and that we're not putting our tourist dollars into larger companies that may or may not be doing things as ethically and as fairly as we at Heart of Travel believe that they should be done. So that's our mission. And in terms of what we actually offer are group travel experiences. So typically itineraries can be anywhere from five to 12 days long, depending on the trip and the destination. And we operate in Guatemala. We operate in Mexico City, Oaxaca, Mexico, Cuba, Costa Rica. We're opening up Colombia, Argentina, and Peru in 2023. And we do do one trip a year to Spain to kind of tie in that understanding Latin America requires understanding some Spanish history as well. So yeah, I'm super excited. On August 15th, we're going to be opening up registration for all of our tours in 2023. Everybody who signs up for a trip within the first hour is going to get entered into kind of a raffle and we'll be selecting somebody random to get $1,000 cash back off their trip. Five other people will get $300 cash back off of their trip. And everyone who signs up in that first hour is going to get access, free access to our Spanish course. So we're really excited. We did a launch kind of, we took this approach in 2021 when we were just so scared about going out of business because of the pandemic. And it was so successful and it really gave us the drive to continue and push forward through 2022. So we're hoping to double our success from last year with this launch and would just get people excited about traveling again. I know for so many people after the pandemic, not being able to travel was really hard. So I think having a trip on the calendar is really a good for the soul for people. So that's what we do for trips. We also do B2B trips. We do work with yoga studios, people who do retreats, businesses that are doing travel so we can put together custom stuff as well. And then for people who aren't able to travel or not wanting to travel right now, but want to learn Spanish and want to take a deeper look at Latin America and get kind of an inside view into some of the destinations that we work in, we have an online Spanish program that consists of pre-recorded videos and PDF workbooks and other resources where you're getting exposed to Spanish, but not just the Spanish that you would learn in high school or university back in the States. We're trying to expose you to the diversity that exists in Spanish throughout Latin America. So 
I'm involved in a lot of the grammar classes and kind of supporting people through the journey since I can relate to somebody who's not a native Spanish speaker, but really the stars of the show, because it's almost like show, are the Spanish speakers. So my coworkers and colleagues like Pam and Amy and Chiva, who shows up there, and then people like my husband, Luis Miguel, people like our friends in Cuba and Ecuador, who have also contributed and added an element of richness and bringing them into their homes a little bit through a virtual platform. So yeah, we're all about travel. We're all about learning Spanish, but all of it really is with the point of being able to connect with more people on a deeper level in hopes to create a more equitable and just world, (laughs) which is lofty, but that's the goal. So shoot for the moon, land among the stars kind of a thing. Girl, how do you do it all? I don't know. Also, is Chile Anna? Yeah, Chiva and Anna are the same person. <laughs> oh my gosh. So so she's a part of it too. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. That's what I've been seeing in the videos. Okay. Yeah, so she's in a lot of the videos, particularly in Basico Uno. And we were actually business partners for a couple of years. And during the pandemic, she had some other opportunities that presented itself. So we had the most like cool, amicable way of closing the business relationship, probably aspect of our relationship and having still a beautiful friendship. And she still shows up and is going to lead a couple trips and she's going to make some cameos in the basic two Spanish course. So it's been really cool that she kind of still gets to be part of things. But also we accept that her life had a new chapter for her, which is so awesome. That's so cool. It's all coming together. Well, I'm taking that basic Spanish level course. I'm particularly interested in Argentina and Peru next year. So I highly recommend everybody check out Heart of Travel and the trips and the classes. And I just want to highlight that the trips are very affordable for everything that they include. And they're incredibly immersive culturally. And I'm particularly just absolutely blown away inspired by you because with my retreats it's kind of like this little bubble and I just bring it to Costa Rica at a retreat center that promises to give back to the community and that has full Costa Rican staff and and all of that is really incredibly important you take it next level girl like you (laughs) just I'm absolutely amazed and I can't wait to experience it in real life Yeah. Well, I think that what you offer is a completely different experience that's also super valuable. And I think that in the travel industry, there's this kind of like wanting to define like what is right, what is best, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? There's enough room for everything. And I think it's really valid if somebody says, you know what? I want to go to Costa Rica for a week. And right now I just kind of want to work on myself and focus on myself. That's totally valid. So I think that it's really beautiful that you offer that type of experience to people and that you are as intentional as possible in the indirect impact to the community that that it has. So I don't do what you do and I wouldn't be able to do that. And I have a lot of respect and admiration for what you do as well. And maybe one of these days we can combine forces. I was just going to say the same. <laughs> Hopefully our relationship continues and and we can yeah combine forces and bring something totally new. In the meantime, I'm just so grateful for this rich conversation, rich and enriching conversation that we had. I invite everybody to check out Heart of Travel, whether it's to do an online basic Spanish course or just explore the possibilities, opportunities, and That's all. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mary, for your time. And I hopefully will get to see you soon. Thank you for your heart and the work that you do. You are the heart of travel. 
One last thing before we farewell, if you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify, depending on where you're listening. Your feedback helps the podcast grow, and as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words just mean the absolute world to me. Just search the show on Apple, scroll all the way down to where you'll see a place to leave a review. And if you're listening on Spotify, on the show's homepage, you'll see like a star. And when you click on that star, it'll let you send in your reading. Thank you so much for helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just go to maryscupoftea.com book, and you'll find all the links to order the gift of self-love. I love you all so much, and I will talk to you next time. Bye!